Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host moving papers around here. Ben Siders, that's me. And the other guy is, as always, Kirk Damon. That's Kirk, as in the Captain the Enterprise. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders. You can find Kirk at KirkDMN. And you can find this podcast at LGGPod. Also check out our website, LGGPodcast.com. This is uh, our, our Book of Boba Fett review episode. Uh, we're kind of going off script. We were we were planning to just save all of our Star Wars content for the Star Wars holiday special at the end of the year, but we just did that. And, <laughs> and we can't do it. It's, we, it's, it's, we like Star Wars too much. There's too much to talk about, and by the time, if we wait until then, it'll be stale and nobody will care. So, Also, this is interesting because Kirk and I have discussed this virtually not at all during any of these episodes, other than we, I guess we talked about one scene. We, um, talked, about, we talked about early Book of Boba Fett, yeah. and we've talked about a couple of episodes in when we both happen to be seen at the same time. Part of what it is is that we, we were never sort of at the same episode at the same time. I started off having seen a bunch more than Ben did, then he caught up and went past me and yeah. I never got caught up again until the very end here. So Kirk basically watches his usually the Monday after they come out. So you're, you're delayed by about four or yeah. five days. Uh, and I was watching them even after that. And so I got I watched the first four episodes all together and then caught up to Kirk. And then I started watching them on Wednesdays when they came out. But Bottom line is we've both now seen all of them. They are all now out. And, um, boy, let's just start off. What a weirdly structured narrative. <laughs> this, I have to say, this is a weird show. Like, just in the way they did it, the way they structured the show, the the methodology for what it was. I mean, literally, I guess, five-sevenths of the show is flashback. Um, wow. You know, it's... It's a very strangely organized yeah. Star Wars show. And and I have to say, and I'm going to start on we should commentary. Just, we should do a spoiler warning. If you haven't seen it, we're going to get into some plot details. So And a lot in the last episode. Yeah. So, yes. So if you haven't seen it, go <laughs> see it, uh, and then come back to this later when you're done. But we are going to spoil the crap out of this. <laughs> yeah, so definitely if you've not seen Book of Boba Fett, stop now and uh, do that. Because we're going to talk a lot about it. And there are some major spoilers, especially in like the last couple episodes. Yeah. So it's something where I think, you know, and it's hard not to talk about it because they're major, major things. So. Let me ask you this. Uh, so the, if you've seen it, you know the structure is the first three-ish episodes are uh, an intercut of flashbacks beginning with Boba Fett in the Sarlacc pit and then flash forwards to basically current time after the the last season of The Mandalorian kind of interspersed together. And then there's a, a two-episode interlude that's basically The Mandalorian season 2.5, everybody's calling it. <laughs> uh, and then The Mandalorian is back for a final showdown in the last episode. So Well, but really, it's still just a Mandalorian episode in the last one. It kind of feels I, like I, I kind of did it. It's, to me, it felt like we were starting out with a lot of flashback. Then we sort of got caught up, and then we switched to Mandalorian 2.5. Yeah. Um, and and my, my real comment with it is, and I think there's a meme running around in this, is when is Boba Fett starring in this show? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I saw a funny meme that said, uh, this week on Book of Boba Fett, there's a cameo by Boba Fett. <laughs> exactly. Which, that was the one thing I thought was so weird about it. It's, what I'll, t- I'll say in conjunction with it, so I felt, after episode one, I was really concerned. Because I felt episode one did feel very disjointed. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because I think it's the... I mean, so let me ask you this, Kirk. There's two stories, right? There's the flashback to him coming out of the Sarlacc pit, yeah. having his armor stolen by Jawas, who we now really see why C-3PO thinks they're so disgusting and gross. They really yeah. are terrible. Like, they're just opportunistic <laughs> scavengers. Uh, and so he has that, and we see him kind of being rehabilitated a little bit by the Tusken Raiders, who uh, kind of in 
enslave him, I guess, but then he wins the yeah. war. Well, we, we know the thing with it I thought was interesting is the setup, we, we, our, our one exposure to details of Tusken Raider society, well, two exposures, one of which is episode three mm-hmm. um, and the, the relationship between Anakin Skywalker and the Tusken Raiders, yeah. the idea that, you know, they had enslaved his mother, um, you know, she was effectively being tortured is sort of what they imply, you know, at least in conjunction with it. And in, in many respects, presenting the Tunchkin Raiders as being savages. Yeah, barbaric. Barbaric. Yeah. We then have the Mandalorian uh, season three episodes, I guess, or, you know, yeah, I guess, well, season two episodes, I'm trying to think what exactly it falls in. Um, you know, with the with the Tusken Raiders being, no, they're, they're, they're nomadic. They're seen as being barbaric because they don't necessarily fit within the bounds of sort of society in the, the mosses, which I guess is what you kind of yeah. call the cities now of Tatooine. But no, they're actually a very noble people. Yeah. Um, and I mean, maybe it differs from tribe to tribe, too, we're kind of seeing. Yeah, we the see ones that a little we bit. Have dressed differently and seem to be a different group than the ones we've seen before. Yeah. And sort of the question of what really are they, you know, yeah. the thing with it. And, you know, obviously, in initial trilogy, the only thing we encountered them of is the idea of them, you know, shooting once at, you know, Luke's uh, land speeder, you know, and not a lot of, you know, sort of they're, they're just kind of there and being scary, yeah. you know, being. Being the, the people out in the in the desert, the classic faceless enemy to move the plot forward. Yeah, not they're not even really an enemy initially. Yeah. They're just kind of there. Yeah, you know, we see them obviously attack. You it's know, sort of a vague threat. But... We gotta watch out for the Saiyan people. They provide some boundaries for where the plot goes to help explain decisions people are making. But yeah. they're just they're as I like to say, they're pawns on the chessboard of the story. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what we really encountered. So we had kind of these these competing narratives. What I think is interesting is the first uh, the first episode of Book of Boba Fett goes back to the Anakin presentation. Yeah. You know, they're 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 barbaric, they're savages, you know, they're they're you know, enslavers, you know, I think that's one of the things you talk about, they sort of, you know, hint at. You definitely see them, you know, the idea that like him trying to escape and then, you know, getting run down yeah. and beaten up. But at the kind of end you start to get this idea that like, no, maybe he's just being tested. Yeah. Um, it turns into Dances with Wolves, right? I, I've yes. seen this joke before. I call it Dances with Tuscans. I've seen other phrasings of it, but everybody's <laughs> yeah. kind of noticed that it has that, that story yeah. arc. Or to, to quote Robin Williams, Dances with Great Difficulty. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think it was Robin Williams that made that joke initially. Um, so, the, but, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where they definitely then get into the idea. It, and the reason I think the first one's also rough is because we're not used to the flashback Methodology. They mm. use a very particular methodology for flashback, which is when he's in the back of the tank, we are flashing back. But the flashbacks um, are long. I mean, these are yes. 40 to one hour long episodes, and over half of some of them is a flashback. Yes. Normally the flashback is sort of interspersed with current action to provide some context. But this is basically starting a back to tank, flashback for 35, 40 minutes, then we get just a tiny little bit of a present day plot. Um, I, I thought that was odd and, dis, like you said, disjointed. It kind of made the viewing experience really frenetic. Yeah. The biggest problem I had with it, quite frankly, is to me it felt like we needed to, you know, they wanted to do fan service and explain what happened to Boba Fett. Yeah. And to me, a little bit, if I liked the idea of, okay, yeah, he's got to get out of the Sarlacc, but that's two minutes, you know, of him getting out of the Sarlacc yeah. and losing his armor, which, you know, yes, we had to explain those things. I'm also not 100% sure how he crawled through several meters of sand. I don't know if that, yeah, how that it, works. There's it, little things like that that I was like, yeah, John Favreau's usually better at attention to, to those details. Yeah. And I felt like a lot of that fell by the wayside here. I just it, it, it inhibits your suspension of disbelief and makes the viewing experience yeah. more frustrating. It also felt, quite frankly, like fan service. I mean, it really it felt like, you know, hey, we're just going to put this thing in here because we wanted to escape. We wanted it to be kind of cool, but we're not going to really tell you 
everybody wants to know how he got out. Like we yeah. don't know he got out. Everybody wants to know how. And it wound up being not that interesting. Yeah, well, it was and really not that big of a piece of it. No, you know. But then you also have okay, he has a goffy stick. You know that. You know when he when you encounter him in the Mandalorian. Okay, so he's associated with the Tuscan Raiders. Let's get him associated with the Tuscan Raiders. What I really got from the flashback is we are setting up his relationship with the Pikes. Yeah. That's really what we're trying to set up in conjunction with the... And to um, explain the change in his character, because he was yeah. known for the no disintegrations, right? <laughs> so we were kind of led to believe he was sort of a, a, an amoral, bloodthirsty murderer. In fact, a, a Cad Bane calls him that, and yes. he makes fun of him for saying you've gotten soft in your old age. <laughs> so I like that they acknowledge that there's a massive change in character, so that, that Tuscan arc serves two purposes. Like you said, sets up the conflict with the Pikes, which is important to do. It also explains why he softened up a little bit. Yeah, and really sort of the, the idea that there's been the tragedy in his life because of the attacks on the Tuscan, the, the loss of his, his tribe of Tuscan Raiders, we want to call them tribe, but you yeah. know, whatever group we want to refer to them the as. Term. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, so it's, I, I appreciated the fact of the, the flashback made sense. I think my biggest problem with it was, quite frankly, I would have preferred it to have not have been presented as a flashback. I, I agree. We talked about this early on that I would have, I think it would have worked better if they had taken those elements because it's probably about an episode or two worth of content yeah and just done like a a single standalone bridge episode uh that was not part of the book of boba fett uh and just presented all of that all at once or maybe like a webisode type thing yeah. some, some other format to pull those pieces out of this story so we could just stay focused on the present yeah. quite frankly i think they also could have done it where just the first three episodes of book of boba fett started at the starlock and yeah. ended at what we consider the start of book of boba fett the, the sort of you know time of the mandalorian yeah. and i think that's the best way to put it is it's we're in time of the mandalorian and one of the things that really caught me and we're gonna talk about in later episodes to me it is very clear that there is now a, a distinct time period which is the time of the Mandalorian yes. between you know episode six and episode seven. Which it looks um, like it's several years after Return of the Jedi. I'm not sure yes. clear exactly when, but I think in the last episode somebody had referenced a time frame on the order of of you know less than ten years, yes. but probably around four or five ish. I think we definitely have to have. I mean, we know he gets out of the Sarlacc right away, but we yeah. obviously have to have multiple years with him with the Tusken Raiders. There's no way that that kind of thing could have occurred in just a few months. Yeah, you know of what we see in conjunction with his acceptance into that. And, and the idea of him aging as well, and that being potentially bad for him as well, yeah. you know, that the Sarlacc injured him and stuff like that. Um, so I think we have at least the idea of it being a couple years there. The idea of, again, yeah, I think four to five years is a reasonable assertion. Based on Luke's appearance, is sort of uh, not yeah. too closer to Jedi than a Force Awakens, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, and definitely, you know, things like that. So, yeah. We're, we're, and, and just, we're obviously already dropping spoilers I think yes. Luke's appearance. Yeah, yeah. There was a mention of Cad Bane, <laughs> you know, so stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's, it, we, we definitely have that kind of thing. And that was my take, is I'm like, why didn't we just start there? Like, yeah. why didn't we literally just start with the scene straight out of Return of the Jedi, because yeah. it's not like Disney doesn't own it, with Boba Fett splatting into the side of the arc and sliding down into the Sarlacc pit. You and then the whole cut. episode on him getting out of the Sarlacc. Yeah. And then, really, you could have done an entire first season of just him with the Tusken Raiders, because there were some really great pieces there. The, the, the train heist? Yeah. was great. Yeah, the train heist was really cool. Um, the other thing, like, is the follow-up. I really would have liked to have seen his vengeance on the biker gang have more depth to it, you know? Well, so now that we know that it wasn't really the biker gang, it makes a little more sense why that was sort of perfunctory. Um, but really, it would have meant more to the character if, like you said, if that was a more exaggerated um, effort. Oh, I, th I think it was the biker gang. They just did it at somebody's behest. Yeah. <laughs> I still think the biker be. gang actually did it. But the, <laughs> but the, the, it, it was done very perfunctory. He gets Slave 1. Actually, I guess it's not called that anymore. Or yeah. No, it is called that. They just don't put that in the package. They never put the it toys. on the package in the toys but anymore. He, he gets the, Slave 1. Gets the ship back uh, and, then, and then, you know, blows them all up. 
Uh, and when you see the ship coming, I thought he was going to land and like challenge them or something. Yeah. But no, he just kind of strafes by, and that's that. And they're all uh, dead, yeah. They're all dead. Okay, well, all right. To me, to me it, 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 you really had this idea, and part of it is, it's okay, we're going to have Boba Fett enact vengeance, except he doesn't. It's just like, I'm just going to go very impersonal for a yeah, guy that's a bounty impersonal. hunter. Uh, and that's, you know, for somebody who's known for, you know, disintegrations. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, it's, it was that kind of thing where it's, okay, you get the idea that he's softening and things like that. But this was not... You know, he never even gave them a chance to explain themselves. They didn't give him. No, mean, he could have done the. Why did you do this? And they could have advanced the plot. It's more traditional, like confrontation with with an opponent, where he lands the ship, they stop, he walks out. There's dramatic music, and they have a little conversation. Maybe he learns some more information. Yeah. Maybe they deny it. Maybe they like their tough guy image and they don't deny it. Uh, but there's zero plot advancement. It was yeah. just like, okay, he's going to go blow them all up now, and then we're moving on to the next thing. It was yeah, very we're on to the next thing. Yeah, and stuff like that. So those are the things with it. The one thing we definitely did get in conjunction with the flashback is his relationship to his cohort. Yes. Um, and why is her name escaping me right now? Um, uh, Fetishan. Fetishan, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's... And the, so I think uh, we're made to assume it was Boba Fett, right? In The Mandalorian. Yes, uh, we're obviously made yeah. to assume that, you know, with it... I forgot was, about that scene. Uh, yeah. th- that we didn't know who she found that, like, saved her. Now we yeah. do know. So I do like that it's, it's clear to me now that at least Mandalorian Season 2 and this were being developed at the same time because there's a lot yeah. of crossover back and forth. And this is Disney trying to Marvel Marvel Universe everything. Um, but although this is done better than they did with the movies, it still feels a little sloppy. This one does feel sloppy. And I think that's my biggest complaint with it is I think it, and it's hard because, I mean, Boba Fett is, like, the fan favorite non-name character from all of Star Wars. Well, I think Wars. we're seeing the limitations here. <laughs> So our, if, if you've been listening to the Rewind episode I just put out uh, last week, it was our culture episode. I'd forgotten I said this, but when we did our culture episode in season one, uh, they had just announced that, they, the Disney had just announced that they were, or not announced, but it was rumored that they were going to not do the Kenobi movie. They were not going to do the Boba Fett standalone movie. And I said, well, p- perhaps foolishly, I don't think there's enough to, there's enough, not enough there there with Boba Fett to do an entire series out of it. Well, they did. You know? Yeah. Uh, they, they made it work. Uh, but but did they? Maybe we're seeing the limitations of his character here. Yeah, I think we saw the limitations of his character. Well, they needed to make him a new character as to what it was. And yeah. quite frankly, setting him up as essentially a, you know, mafia crime lord type like of that. character on Tatooine replacing Jabba is a great idea for what he becomes. And they kept introducing things that kind of went nowhere. So they brought in Jabba's, like, siblings, his twins... Yeah, uh, sort of established the the, the pomp and, and sort of the, the cultural norms of how the the, the crime families work in yeah. Mos Espa, uh, and then they they were brought in and there was a confrontation, and then they came back and said, "Never mind, we want no part of this," and they just disappeared from the plot. Yeah, how bizarre! Yeah, again, and and I actually have to admit, like one of the things I really loved about the presentation of sort of Jabba's siblings is playing into. We talked about you know some of the anime episodes and visions and stuff like that. The Huts are not a nice family in no. any way, shape, or form. No, it's the Sopranos. You know, the yeah. Slugs. <laughs> I mean, in some sense, they're worse than the Sopranos. I mean, you know, but it's. I thought that was a nice thing to sort of do is to portray them as like, okay, these guys are just evil, like in the way they're portrayed. You know, you have crime lords. You have you have the crime lords portrayal of the idea of like the crime lord who's kind of the honorable crime lord, the honor amongst thieves type yeah. of person, or at least the idea in the way they started in Tatooine of like. Java maintained order yeah. in a very lawless society. Just he had to be a bit of a tyrant. Sheer brutality, yeah. But at the same time, it, it, there was a value to it, and yeah. you know, there, there's that's portrayed a lot in organized crime and in you know crime lords, especially in science fiction. Of there can be organization in organized crime that can actually assist yeah. an otherwise lawless society. Um, 
you know, they create a law of their own. I mean, it's it's universal. We talk about thieves, guilds, and, you know, Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. I mean, you have that kind of stuff, you know, with it. Um, and, you know, honor amongst thieves. So you, you have those. That was not a, that was a good element. And also, it completely fits Boba Fett's character of the idea of him becoming a crime lord. It, it does. It kind of makes sense. Uh, you know, I, you can see him, um, after he gets out of the Sarlacc and realizes his job is dead and gone, uh, being bitter and angry about his fate and what happened to him. Um, and particularly the way that it went down, like Han Solo just accidentally waxes jet yeah. pack, and I guess there's no safety switch on it because it tur- <laughs> you know takes off. So you know, you, there's there's narrative elements there that make sense and build his character. At, at the end of the day, I guess I, f- I found both the Tuscan arc and the Crime Lord arc by themselves to be interesting. Uh, I'd even go so far as to say compelling and overall well done. But intermixing the two, I thought, did not work. Yeah, and that's I think that was the biggest thing for to me, and I had the same kind of thing. I felt. The, the way they organized the show structurally in the first episodes with the flashbacks, while it was clear what was going on, it was not an easy-to-follow story or a particularly interesting story because it kept flipping back and forth. Yeah. Uh, Both and would have been stronger if they were presented more, in more traditional, linear fashion. Yeah. So I, I think that was the thing that we had, uh, you know, for it. So, and, and yeah, I think it would have made more sense to not have done it as a flashback, to have just had it be this is the plot line as to how it follows. Yep. The, the second example is, like, the fact that, you know, he takes uh, – well, he uses the, uh, the, the, droid, um, the, the droid fixers you know, the, at, mm-hmm. at the early part to, to help Fennec shine, but then, like, they don't remember him. Yeah. You know, later on, and it's kind of like, wait, like they're all the ones who were in the shop <laughs> when he shows up. Like none of them remember him, you know. And, and obviously, it was because of the timeline of the way that occurred in the show that they couldn't let on that. But at the same time, it was one of those things where it's like, if you were to have done it in chronological order, that wouldn't have been a problem. It could have been like, hey, I remember you, didn't you? You know, didn't you bring somebody in? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. You know, do you guys want a job? Oh, sure, why yeah. not? You know, something like their relationship works better. Yeah. Like, that was the thing I had with it. Because I mean, I have to admit, quite frankly, I find that concept and quite frankly that biker game well I think their bikes are dumb yeah the speeder bikes the Power Ranger bikes the Power Ranger bikes <laughs> I actually really kind of think they could be a very interesting characters yeah. in and of themselves this idea of of the android the kind of people who want to they see the advantages of droids and kind of want to be droids knowing that droids are really kind of a low class yeah. in, in Star Wars that's the way they've always been portrayed that can be really interesting. Um, Speaking of which, let's talk about some of the some of the uh, cameos of other characters uh, and some <laughs> of the new. Let's start with new characters. What, what was your favorite new character they introduced in the series? New character they introduced the Rancor. Oh yeah, <laughs> is, that, is that fair? Can I say that's my character? The Rancor and the character. Rancor Keeper. Um, because what what I actually really loved about the idea with the Rancor is you have the scene in Return of the Jedi when the Rancor dies where the Rancor Keeper pushes Luke out of the way and runs to the Rancor. And the idea of it being a pet, it's not just a mindless monster. And I really loved the fact that they went with the, no, like, these are creatures that, like, are, they like... bond with people. Deeply yeah. bonding. You know, yes, they're, they're ferocious. They're just, you know, they're, they're things like that. But the idea of it being, like, you know... This is more a companion than a pet. Yeah. Um, and it's something they explored a little bit in some of the animated series, the idea of the, the Rancor being more than it was. I, I get, love the I throwaway line, too, where, uh, where Boba Fett says he's going to ride it because yeah. he's ridden something bigger <laughs> before, <laughs> which I think is a callback to the holiday special. I think, I think, at least I saw it that way. That was a reference back to the holiday special. He's riding some side di- the side. He's riding dinosaur. a dinosaur. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those things where I liked that. I loved the idea of the portrayal of it. And it's one of those things where, quite frankly, I thought that was a just really 
nice Star Wars-y scene. You know what I loved about that? So the, the scene with Luke in Return of the Jedi, if so you guys don't remember, Luke kills the Rancor by dropping a giant metal door on its head. Yeah. Uh, and the Rancor Keeper comes out and is like crying and being comforted by his friend like his dog died. Yeah. This scene is just a throwaway scene that's played for laughs. Like, there's no depth to it, right? Yeah. Other than just a little humor value to kind of release the tension after a dramatic, you know, fight scene. Um, but then by introducing this concept now, they add more depth to that scene. We talked about it in one of our in our last Skywalker um, review. How, how do they introduce new elements to the plot that make old elements mean more or change our understanding of them? Yeah. This is an example of how you do that with, with careful, clever writing, which moves the story forward, accomplishes world building, and puts a little more spin, a little more nuance yeah. into that, that other scene. It also, quite frankly, makes Jabba more brutal. Yeah. Because now you really get the fact that, like, no, Jabba's horrible. Yeah. You know, he, he's basically he's, keeping pit dogs, you know? Yeah. He basically has, you know, he's, he's, he's keeping this guy's, you know, trusted companion as a fighting dog for his own entertainment. And it was like, okay, that, you know, you really get this idea that, like, people worked for Jabba not because they wanted to, but because they had to. And the Gamorrean guards presented yeah. the same way, the idea of the loyalty to their to the person that they're working for, the crime they're working for, you know, and Boba Fett saying, no, I'm not going to kill him. You were loyal to the past two. Might as be loyal to me. Yeah. And they are. They're, you know, brutally loyal to him in, in protecting him. Um, and so I thought they did a good job with that kind of stuff with it, of really portraying Boba Fett is not Jabba, who is just brutal, and is not Bib Fortuna, who is just incompetent. I'll tell you who you know? I thought uh, I enjoyed every minute he was on on the screen was the Major Domo. <laughs> that was because he's that hilarious. He was such an over the top, <laughs> ridiculous, scenery chewing character. Like yeah. like every time he was on the screen, uh, I just I started grinning because we. You know, he's, he's like, I love the last scene where he walks out to read a Boba Fett surrender terms. I knew it was going to be something like, like, like a middle finger or something like that to these guys. Uh, but uh, I don't know, I don't know what actor portrays him, but he was perfectly cast, and all of his scenes again, apologies, and and trying to play the diplomacy angle when the guy is really stuck in hopeless situations. Um, I, I know a lot of people found him to be annoying, but I just thought that that character was um, yeah. just. A ton of fun in, in, yeah. in, a, in a series that didn't have a lot of fun in it. He was definitely a big comic relief, is what it is. I have to admit, I, I actually liked the mayor, and I liked I the did mayor too. in a particular yeah. reason. And the reason I liked it is the first time you encounter him in his chambers when Boba Fett walks in and stuff like that. I love the fact that his language, then being instantly translated, his language is utterly foreign. Yeah, and you see that in episode four. There's one of those, I forget what they're called, Illithid? No, that's from... People Dungeons always call them Hammerheads. Yeah, the Hammerhead. They have, a, they have a name, yeah. but uh, they're, they have two mouths, and they, and they speak in like a stereo language, and you hear some of the language in episode four, and so they have that here, and it's just like a series of like grunts and, and weird sounds. Yeah. Uh, so they have the translator until you can understand it. Uh, and it's actually hard to listen to, though. Like, when yeah. you hear the double things over on top of it, it's very hard to listen to. And I actually really liked the idea of, like, you know, as a human being, like, these people would be difficult to talk to. Not because of the fact that they think but just because the whole way they communicate and who they are, their, their vocalization is foreign to yeah. us in a very, very foreign way. I actually really liked that. I thought that was kind of cool, quite frankly. You know, Ethorian. I just looked it up. Uh, they're called the Ethorians. So, yeah. Okay. It was one of those in four also. Um, I also really enjoyed the new Wookiee character they introduced. I sort of did, but I don't think they gave him enough depth. No, I, I agree. I like um, the idea of of a, of a sort of mercenary Wookiee being used as a muscle. We haven't really seen like an evil yeah. Wookiee before. Uh, and that he kind of joins the other side. And I, I, I wanted more of that character. Yep. I'm going to tell you the one that I also had. Not outside the rancor as to what it was. But my kids commented, and I have to agree with them. I really, really hope the bar owner survived. 
Oh, the the, expl- the, yeah. the woman who the, who ran the bar, the Twilight, who yeah. ran the bar, and her two like helpers, you know, the, the clean your helmet people. Yes, but my kids coming about us were like they were cool. I hope they survived, and I'm the same way. I'm yeah. kind of like that kind was kind of, of a s- fun locale. I hope they keep it. What I like, the, so there were, one thing I will say the series did, I thought really well, a lot of well-done, subtle world building. Yes. Uh, where, w- without shoving it down your throat the way that we've, we've seen before in shows like this, little things like, can we, can we polish your helmet for you? Which at first I thought was code for something else. Yes, yeah, so uh, I. Uh, but no, they bring back the helmet full of cash. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, okay, well, that's funny. Like, it's, it's funny, it's clever. They're not even hiding it. It's like, here's your helmet full of credits. Yeah, except uh, they are hiding it. That's the whole point. It's yeah. it's an open secret. Yeah, that's what it is. Which which fits with the whole you know crime lord uh, lawlessness of Tatooine. So a lot of little touches like that in 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 the way that they tell well, the story. And that, the Pikes not understanding it. Yeah, which I think was also a very valuable sort of piece. Yeah, I like that they established that the city is divided into these little quarters of different crime families. None of them got a whole lot of development. Maybe the whole thing just needed more time. Yeah, so I was talking about the idea of, of are we going to see, and I kind of spent the joke on the, the Mandalorian time period, are we going to see the Mandalorian? Are we going to see Book of Boba Fett? Are we going to potentially see the Ahsoka Tano standalone episode blending into one series, which is the Mandalorian? Yeah. Um, because to me, that's what this felt like. To me, it felt like, and I'll use the comic book analogy, you have the main comic book storyline, and then you have the one shot, you know, four, four issue miniseries is to explain things off the side. Hey, the Mandalorian's the timeline, the Book of Boba Fett's the, the, the seven issue arc off on the side. Now we're going to have the, the short Ahsoka Tano issue arc off on the side. You know, I'm wondering again, your comedies is the marvelization of everything. Um, <laughs> is that what we're going to see, you know, with this? Is we're going to see something where we're, we're really playing around with it? Because to me, that's what this felt like, that there is going to become one definitive, so to speak, TV show or serialized presentation of whatever it is in this window between Return of the Jedi, you know, and, and episode seven. And that that now is going to be the Mandalorian, but we're going to pull other stories in. We may have slight divergences as to whatever it is, but that's really the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is the central character of that, and that's what we're going to see. Because, again, to me, that's what this felt like we were going I think that's definitely what they what they want to do with it. Yeah. So um, so let's let's shift off of the 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 Boba Fett part of the Boba Fett story and let's go to uh, episodes <laughs> five and six, which has been jokingly referred to online as the Mandalorian season two point five because it is it's where, it's the Mandalorian. It's not the book of Boba Fett. So Boba Fett does not appear at all in episode five. It's just the Mandalorian. Um, in, in, in some really stunning and impressive imagery. I thought it was like one of the better episodes of the season. And then the one after that is, I think, a little more uneven, and it has Luke and, and Grogu back in it. Yeah. Let's talk about the first one. It opens up with the Mandalorian going into basically a, a butcher shop uh, to, to collect a bounty. And then drawing the, the dark saber and yeah. fighting everybody. Am I the only one who thought that that reminded, that reminded them of Rocky? And that maybe it's just me, but you know, yeah. I'm like, it's it's reminded me of Rocky. It's because there's meat hanging. Yeah, exactly, there's meat hanging, and there was going to be a fight scene in it, <laughs> even though it wasn't him beating on the meat. But okay, um. they broke down the Beskar spear, which is interesting. Um, yeah. And then we well, had a little more lore. one. I, that has to have been hard for him to act with it on his back. It's really freaking long. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that was more of a practical thing. Yeah, I actually wondered if it was a practical thing. Uh, and then uh, we got a little more world building on the background of the Mandalorians that were introduced to the Creed. I don't know if we'd gotten much on the Creed before. Yeah. 
Um, no, part of this is, and again, from your thing, we're tying into Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, and the stuff we know from The Mandalorian and Clone Wars, we got a little more tie. Which I haven't seen um, yet, so Kirk knows yeah. things I don't. Um, we saw a little more tie, I think, of the end of The Clone Wars, where we know we have the Mandalorians on the moon that follow the Creed versus the Mandalorians on the planet, which are sort of merged with the Republic and are becoming more a standard, sort of, you know, what it is thing with it and what i thought was very interesting from it is the portrayal because obviously we had the moon mandalorians or the creed mandalorians as sort of being the survivors from this i thought the interesting idea of we know that the empire clearly the empire bombs mandalore um you know we see tie bombers come in and do that which was also kind of cool to see tie bombers really do what tie bombers are supposed to do um because we never really seen that on screen but the idea that you know hey the the mandalorians we see of of that group now are very bitter because they saw the idea of mandalore being destroyed because mandalore essentially tried to not be as martial to calm down Mm -hmm. And this Mandalorian not quite living by what they think is appropriate, where he has kind of his own honor code and his own honor code being even more extreme in some ways. Well, respects. then to, to be able to, um, well, yeah, I forget the context of it, but he has to redeem himself in some fashion. Yeah, he has to go and wash himself in some waters in Mandalore, and that's yeah. the comment of, you know, aren't they destroyed? And she's kind of like, well, too bad. <laughs> it says what it says. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess I guess we're getting a preview of what Mandalorian Season 3 is going to be about, is him trying to get yeah. this, this cleansing or whatever it is. Done. Whatever it is with it. I also think they, they, I thought it was very good as the way they did it, and quite frankly, I think the actor did a good job as well, of does he lie mm-hmm. about that? And him choosing not to, knowing what the implication is and her very rapid response to it, but it's clear even from the way he responds of, of does he lie that there's the possibility of her knowing he may lie and choosing yeah. not to. Um, and so I thought that was a very intriguing concept behind it. I also like the um, space station they were on, the, the ring-shaped yeah, space station. Yeah, the ring-shaped space station where they're on the inside, which yeah. is kind of a neat uh, sort of thing. My real thing from that, I thought we also had to obviously have the showdown between the two of them. Yep. I also liked the idea of the dark saber kind of being this difficult-to-wield weapon. Yeah, he doesn't seem to really know how to use it very well. It doesn't seem to be as easy as a lightsaber. Yeah, you know, and, and you really see him, like, he's almost dragging it. He can't lift it. She comments about it being heavy. Yeah. Of the idea that, you know, okay, the Darksaber is not a Jedi weapon, and so maybe there's something with the idea that it's it, it bears responsibility and things like that. So, you know, again, we're going to see where that's going to go, I think. Um, you know, going forward from it, I think we're gonna we're gonna see some showdowns in Mandalorian yeah. history here. I'm also hoping we see a little more of what did happen to Mandalore. I think the the idea of okay, this planet was just annihilated by the Empire. Something we had seen in Bad Batch mm-hmm. in the destruction of of the the uh, cloning Camino, world, yeah. Camino, that now we see okay, like the Empire just is not a nice thing to be. No, involved. they're cleaning up some loose ends, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> and, and I liked the idea of doing that and sort of really pointing out the fact that, like, the Empire resolves it, its disputes through just brutal force. Yeah. Um, and that was a, a nice, I think, you know, addition in there, too. So that was my thing with it. My, my real thing I thought was interesting is how much they focused on building the Naboo Starfighter. Yeah, that was um, a lengthy sequence, and yeah. I couldn't tell if we were supposed to recognize. There was a lot of prequel imagery reintroduced here. We got the Naboo Starfighter. Yeah the Scorponic or whatever droids at the end, uh, a lot of prequel stuff, and that seemed to be a conscious choice, and, which is odd considering that all that stuff you would think would have been largely eradicated in, you know, within yeah. the, the 
continuity of the story. So why do you think they're bringing all that stuff? The, back? the one other thing I thought was interesting, just to type about bringing stuff back in, then explaining what the long tube is that they attempt to use in Star Wars to stop the trash compactor, yeah. which I thought was hilarious. Um, but one of the things I, I think that what they're trying to do with it is they are trying to portray they. They want Naboo, I think, to have a more important place in history. See, that's what I wonder, is if in Mandalorian Season 3 we're going to revisit some prequel destinations, yeah. Naboo being one of them. I th- I have the feeling Naboo is being set up for something. Um, and, and quite frankly, I can very well believe that it's going to be a, a desolate a desolation of a planet. Yeah. Um, it may also be that it's somehow held out. You know, you may have something along those lines that's somehow held out. But my take of this is I think we're going to see something coming out of Naboo. The reason I say the idea of a desolation of the planet is the idea that the Starfighter is rare. It is kind of like a sports car. I yeah. refer to it as, it's, to me, it totally feels like it's the old Corvette. Like that's It's presented that way. Yeah. Like a low seat, high engine. Like a lot of the camera <laughs> angles they choose, like, like invoke the feeling of a muscle car. Yeah, and a classic like American muscle yeah. car. Like, again, a Corvette really being Yeah, a Corvette is exactly what I thought. Yeah. Just the shape of the hood. I don't know what it was. But yeah, it's, it's got that flat, Corvette. broad hood. Yeah, like a stingray <laughs> uh, or something. And and so that you know kind of being the thing as to what it is with it, but I thought it was very interesting. They took so long to sort of you know fix up the car. Now it did also give us some more insight into the Jawas, which I thought was yes. useful. And the the it was the one play into the Pikes, um, where you have the Jawas stealing that you know particularly long tube invention yes. off of the underside of a Pike <laughs> you know vehicle. Um, what I thought was the thing that I had with it, I was joking about, and I think I may have even said this to, to you at one point in time, is to me that episode feels like Star Wars Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and I was kind of like, uh, where are we going with this? Um, it's also interesting because, you know, the Razor Crest is a relatively large starfighter. This is a one man starfighter. Yeah. You know? well, the I Razor mean, Crest is more of a, a, it kind of got the impression it was a. A freighter almost. Yeah, it was, it was a, the, like the, 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 the Dodge Falcon. Caravan of its universe, you know? <laughs> it's like the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Um, the other things I really liked with it, I did like some of the subtle world building that was done in conjunction with this. The Mandalorian being on what is effectively a public bus. Yeah. You know, and the idea yeah, of like, flights. what do you do with it? What do you do with your checked weapons? You know, and stuff like that. That they arrive, you have this droid that just kind of hangs out with it. You know, you really kind of wonder, like, are these going to get lost? Like, that was that's what I thought was going to happen. Like, he's uh, going to put the dark saber in your spell, and I thought it's going to get to- stolen. We have a whole <laughs> pot element around that. But no, he just he picked it back up when he got there. Yeah, and so I liked, the, again, sort of that subtle world building that they had with these things. The also real presentation, and I thought that was this was one of the takes I really had from me as a, a piece of subtle world building I think was intentional around this. Tatooine is really, really out there. Yeah, I mean, you really get the impression <laughs> of how off the beaten path it is. Yeah, and just, you know, you get that that Western, old school. Very Western. Western feel behind Tatooine that just none of these things. You know, you see, the thing feels like a freaking Wells Fargo co- coach coming into yeah. town. Um, well, it's got the trains. It's got people, you know, getting shot yeah. out of windows and falling onto awnings. And we yeah. even had a, a speeder bike uh, or speeder race that ended with a fruit cart collision. There's always a fruit cart everywhere. Even yeah. the desolate <laughs> desert planet. But even, fruit cart even the thing with the when you have the speeder bikes and and Boba Fett hunting down the speeder bike gang has that feeling of like charging horses, yeah. uh, you know, across the desert. I, I really got this idea of you know to me it felt like they want Tatooine to be. A Western. You know, they're going yeah. back to George Lucas's This is a Western in Space. Yeah. Tatooine is a Wild West movie town. It's not a real Wild West town. It's a Wild West in the movies town. And we saw a lot of showdowns in this street, perhaps none more compelling than Cad Bane versus... And we're uh, getting, yeah, to the last episode. To Kate Vanth. Um, you know, as to what it is, Cad Bane. We brought back Cad Bane. 
when I saw the way they shot that, um, you could see the outfit, and it looks like uh, it looked like his outfit. But I was thinking, how are they going to do like a like a, a you know real life? Live action Cad Bane, uh, but they, I think they pulled it off really I well. They pulled it off quite well. The only complaint I had with it is it's, they, they, they did a lot of sound for his breathing, which I was thought, didn't yeah. think was really necessary. I mean, yes, because he has the sort of tubes on the side of his face, yeah. but um, that kind of thing. My understanding is it is the same voice actor. Is it? Uh, okay. Who, who, did the, like uh, it. who did the Cad Bane in the animated it's series. It's almost a shame he died because that character was just. I mean, I wasn't rooting for him, but I loved every second he was on the screen. What, what I like about Cad Bane, and I think the, the thing that I had for, for Cad Bane is he. he he was a nice sort of brutal re-addition yeah. to, to be the foil to what Boba Fett is now. Yeah. Sort of a, a reflection of his past. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what the bounty hunters are, and the bounty hunters are still mean. And we've had this idea, sort of the redemption of the bounty hunter. We're seeing it with the Mandalorian now. Yeah. You know, we've seen it with Boba Fett. And, and getting into this idea of also what does it mean to be a Mandalorian. And I think, again, the one thing I put with this, I think everybody wanted to know Boba Fett's story because they liked Boba Fett as a character. What I have to wonder is if John Favreau, in looking at this, he could, he wanted to tell the story fans want mm-hmm. about Boba Fett, but it couldn't be about Boba Fett. Yeah, like the, the story you probably want to tell is really more like pre Empire Strikes Back, when, back when he was yeah. more more brutal and you know the the disintegrations like that. That's the context the fans wanted. That's why he was interesting. Yeah, he wanted to know what they, where that line came from. You know, yeah. we get this one remark from Vader with literally a stern finger shaking. Like, yeah. all right, well, then who is this guy? They're like even <laughs> Vader's like, all right, now listen. <laughs> well, I think part of it also, quite frankly, is the I need an actual body to verify he's yeah. dead. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was the like, we're not trusting you anymore. Um, the yeah. thing I had. It's like a backstory there with Vader and Boba Fett. It seems yeah. like the thing, quite frankly, I had from it is the we happen to be we happen to be watching the Lion King, the the the, the live action the live animated action, yeah. version. Um, <laughs> but one of the things they have with that is the great scene when you know suddenly Scar sees Simba for the first time. He comes back, and the hyenas in the background is I thought you were dead. <laughs> you know, and the hyenas are clearly doing the like, oh, yeah, because we told him you were dead, you know, and stuff like that. And you kind of got a little bit of that from, I think, Vader's finger-wagging scene yeah. is that, you know, like, you, you told us you killed somebody previously who you didn't. Yeah. And, and you disintegrated them. No, you're not doing that this time. <laughs> I think the problem is the story fans wanted to get was was that part of Boba Fett's character, but we're Disney now, and it's going to be on Disney Plus. And yeah. um, I think I, I don't know how much Disney is involved in like directly sanitizing these things, but if you're John Favreau and you want this job next year, you'll probably know that there's some limits to what you can do. Not that it wasn't still plenty brutal. Uh, I mean, yeah. they had a rancor eat somebody, which I didn't think they would do. Um, but it's definitely very bloodless, yeah. and I think you probably are not going to get like a disintegration scene. So maybe the the and then also if we're trying to tell this new story in what we're going to call now the Mandalorian time period, then you know you can't really go back and do that. That doesn't really help any. But also keep in mind, John Favreau also directed that version of Lion King. Yeah. Um, so that's, <laughs> so that's, and that's part of the reason it just happened to strike me, quite frankly. Um, but one of the um, but my thing with it is I I thought the idea of going here was very interesting. You know, you have the showdown in the street with Cad Bane. Um, you know, what's going to happen with that? You have the decision points. Um, you know, with it, you have what is obviously the Jedi school from episode seven. So let's, let's talk about that. Um, so this, this, so the sixth episode of this season, the Mandalorian goes to wherever that planet was. I don't know that we've ever even been told. Um, yeah, we've not been told, definitely. Yeah, and we see some weird ant robots building uh, a Jedi temple that looks identical to the ones we saw in uh, The Last Jedi. Yep. Um, and then we got uh, CGI Luke, who the camera is really careful not to put too much time on his face, especially when he's talking. I understand why. 
uh, and and some Grogu and some world building there, uh, and and uh, Ahsoka Tana is is there also uh, making jokes about Luke and his dad. So um, really interesting um, intersection of characters yeah. and plot points. And we obviously have the redemption of Anakin having occurred prior to yes, this. Yes, already done. You know, so Ahsoka can now refer to Anakin as a as a friendly character. You know, somebody mm-hmm. who's who's nice in some respects. So that that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I liked it as much as a lot of people did. Um, it was, there was nothing wrong with it in terms of how it was put together, but there's little things that bothered me. Like, why, you know, why does that temple have to look the exact same as the one we saw in episode eight? Well, and my reason for it is, is because I think it is that temple. No, I mean the ones that were on the island, like the like. So <laughs> where where Luke is like hiding out? Oh, okay. There, are, it's it's the those Irish islands where they filmed yeah. it. All those rock, you know, those uh, temples made of little rocks put together. So, did he go there and then build that house? And for some reason, he built it to look just like the temple that just got destroyed, ruined his life. And like, yeah. why did he do that? So, none of that narratively makes any sense to me, other than it's it's typical. We're going to we're going to show you the things you've seen before uh, because we know you're going to like it because yeah. you're fans. Also, with the remote, like, why are we still using this remote to train people? I yeah. guess it's part of the canon now. Well, in, in Star Wars, it's kind of, it's the same way as it, people in Carbonite was sort of convenient. The remote was what they had. Yeah, it just happened you, to be on the Han point. Solo had it. Why, why would Han have a Jedi training remote? And maybe it's just like a general agility training remote of some yeah. kind that Han had just to practice target practice or, or dodging or whatever. But mm-hmm. it shoots lasers. Why would a non-Jedi be able, how would a non-Jedi be able to dodge something that moves at the speed of, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah. it's just one of those things that feels out of place and just, I think, I think it's because it was in the prequels. It's now just a part of Jedi lore, and somehow, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. We're, we're stuck with it now. I just, I continue to not like it. Would have liked them to do anything else. Well, we also saw one of the things I thought was interesting is when Luke is running with Grogu on his back, he follows virtually the identical same actions he does when he has Yoda on his back in the, the scene of training. There, you know, the idea that's the pattern he does. He does the same flip. You yeah. Know, and I mean, again, I think some of that is just to identify what it is. You know, we see this sort of that's familiar. We recognize it. Um, even even him carrying Grogu on his back. One of the things I did think was kind of cool about the whole thing with Grogu, I have to admit, I actually didn't like Luke's interaction with Grogu. I didn't either. Um, because to me, it we don't want to see Luke training people, quite frankly. I think we, we need Luke's inability to train Kylo Ren to remain a mystery. I think yeah. that's one of those things that, that we kind of need to have. You know, we, we don't want to explain too much, um, you know, what we have there. What I did like about it is the way they were able to do Grogu as not entirely an animated character. Yeah. Um, the scene in particular is where he's constantly lifting Grogu to keep yeah. him up. It's almost certainly him having to lift the, the, the puppet yeah. you know, as he's doing that. But it also looks really cool. It is funny. It's just funny and it's kind of cute. But the idea that Grogu is so short... He kind of needs to do this. Cause just, Why can't somebody <laughs> get him some pants so he can walk? <laughs> but, you know, it was one of those things where I really kind of liked that, you know, sort of thing with it. the stuff with the frogs I thought was really cute and yeah. the play off the prior stuff with the, the thing with the frogs. Um, but I like that. But what we then end up with at the end is is the choice. Yes. And Grogu and, chose the Mandalorian, so I guess they're reunited now. Yeah. So we can expect that for season three. So there are questions at season two where we thought they wrote Grogu out. Turns mm-hmm. out, no, he's going to be back. Yeah, now I have to admit, you know, with it, some of that is probably because the fact that Grogu was just so dang popular. Yeah. Um, the one thing I did think from it was, and what I, I actually liked and I thought was an intriguing sort of thing, Grogu was too young to do it. I liked Luke making it an absolute choice. 
See, what's interesting about that is we have, you know, to me, to me that's consistent with how the Jedi were portrayed in the original trilogy. Yeah. Do or do not, there is no try. You know, that's very black and white. Look, there's a the good side and the back side. And, yeah. And, you know, Luke even says, how will I know? And it was like, you will know. You will know when it is time, when your mind is calm and at peace. Then we get the prequels, where we have Obi-Wan saying, only a Sith believes in absolutes. Yeah. So there's this narrative <laughs> incoherence that, that is, I think, primarily a side effect of the prequels being uh, poorly designed and not well thought out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, you know, I've seen some some shade thrown online about about that that difference between the prequels and this. But I'm like, this is more consistent with what Yoda said. Maybe maybe the narrative arc is that it was more um, more nuanced back in the old Republic era. And in Yoda's time on Dagobah, he came to conclude that no, for this to for for the world to be at peace, we have to have some strict rules, yeah. some lines drawn. Uh, and that's how he's teaching Luke to kind of change the way that the Jedi work going. You forward. get a little bit of the idea of the prophecy and the prophecy being. This absolute, you know, you know, and the idea that like there are always two, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the master and the apprentice, you know, we have these absolute rules in the Jedi in the past that we're going to get to, and one of the things I've wondered if we're setting up for this, quite frankly, is Ahsoka, yeah, because Ahsoka is not a Jedi, you know, that's one of the real key elements of you know the end of Ahsoka's animated arc is her turning away from the path of the Padawan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cutting off her braid and walking away, and it's one of those things where you know, and I just spoiled stuff for Ben, but that's, no, that's okay. fine. <laughs> yeah, but the the thing that you really had from that is the idea that Ahsoka, and and that's the reason she can't train Grogu is because she's not actually a Jedi, yeah. um, and I'm really wondering if that's where we're going with Ahsoka's arc. Hmm. You know, is this idea of she's not a Jedi? People may not necessarily realize she's not a Jedi, Luke included. Um, are we are we going to how Kylo Ren happens? Oh, so you think maybe Ahsoka plays into that in some way? I think Ahsoka is going to play into Kylo Ren's backstory. That's my so take. Right that's interesting. Now. Are we going to get more of that somehow in a yeah in Ahsoka standalone series when it happens? Yeah, and that's I think this is a setup for Ahsoka standalone series. Again, this is my sort of take as to what it is. I think Ahsoka is going to be portrayed as a much more complex character, not not her personality or anything like that, but her realm, her, her existence and place in the world. Well, this also gives uh, us some clues as to what the time frame is because. Remember that she says in Mandalorian Season 2 she's looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yes. Which means he's still alive. And so the Timothy Zahn trilogy, to the extent that it's canon, hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Well, my understanding is that Dennis Diaz said they will not overrule the Timothy Zahn trilogy. They will yeah. do nothing which makes it not canon. Yeah. But, there's but not it, is not it. Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. not canon. Yeah. It is not canon. That's a good way to go about it. <laughs> All right. So uh, at the end of the day here, how, how do we feel about the Book of Boba Fett? Scale of 1 to 10. This, quite frankly, I, I hate saying this, in, in things that have been recently, let's take sort of, I'm watching a lot of the animated series, Bad Batch, you know, I've been watching Clone Wars, I've been watching, I've not yet watched um, the the most recent one, Resistance, I guess it is. Yeah, But watching Rebels, um, you know, so a number of the animated series, combining it with Visions, combining it with Mandalorian, uh, the Book of Boba Fett's near the bottom. Yeah, I, I agree. It wasn't, it wasn't objectively bad. I think it was uh, sloppily executed. It could have been better. Um, but I think I've seen enough of Boba Fett, and I think I'm done. Yeah, I, again, to me, this feels like the standalone comic outside the Mandalorian, which is the time sequence. One, I'm kind of I'm kind of pleased with that. It's what it is. I'm hoping it means we're going to see more of Boba Fett. We're going to see this crime lord battle continue. Yeah. If they were to do a series set in Mos Espa that was just focused on this yeah. and not only Boba Fett specifically, I th- th- that to me has some potential. Uh, particularly uh, if, if uh, uh, 
Vanth survives, which yeah. seems we're just, we just Kirk and I, neither one of us caught the mid credit mid credit sequence, but apparently we see Vanth in the back of the tank yeah. uh, in the mid credits. So we're I expected to him to survive yeah. just how they had him be shots. Quite frankly, yeah. that was the thing with it. But the thing that I had from it, and that the, the way I, I put it, I think in conjunction with my take of Book of Boba Fett as a whole, and sort of the the thing from this. I really feel like we're creating Mandalorian as a new trilogy of movies here, Mm -hmm. recognizing it's not going to be portrayed as a trilogy of movies, but we're going to use other characters to partially tell the story around this. You know, it's going to be the ability to tell it. And in some sense, what we're telling, if we look at Star Wars and say the original Star Wars trilogy was the story of R2-D2 and C-3PO, and in many respects, so is the prequels. I mean, that's... There's a a consistent element that's... Yeah, they, you know that, and you know you have R two introduced very very early in the prequels. He becomes kind of one of the storytellers with it. Yeah. You really have that, and even in the, the 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 sequels, the last three movies, we have a consistent story arc of those people in there. They're very involved. You know, again, R two and C three PO being involved with the storyline. If we look at the movies and say they're 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 the droid story, to me, what the Book of Boba Fett is is, is pointing out about the Mandalorian is this is Tatooine's story. Yeah. This is not the story of any one person in the way that, like, the, the movies are Anakin's or the Skywalker's story. This is the story of Tatooine. And Tatooine is going to be a very interesting planet because it was involved with the Skywalkers at the beginning. It's involved with them. It looks At the in, end. And then it's involved with them at the end, you know, that we see with it. So the idea of being and the example to it is if anybody happens to have read the book I always comment about it it's a, it's a great novel it's a, it's definitely dated I mean I read it when I was in college Ken Follett's The Pillars of the Earth which is a wonderful novel the, the, the book Pillars of the Earth is a multi-generational story about the construction of a cathedral which you have from you know it's set in like the 1400s you know sort of stuff but you have to understand it is the cathedral story the characters are all mm-hmm. secondary to the cathedral that's what I'm getting out of this, is all the characters in this are secondary to Tatooine. Well, there's one more more interesting point about Tatooine is how much of a very overt homage there is here to uh, the subject of our last episode, Frank Herbert's Doom. Yeah. We've got the Spice Runners, the desert, uh, the, the spice... <laughs> the <being>, large worms. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the, those Dune elements, I don't know if, if the, the recency of Dune... In, impacted the, the setting here or whatever, but there's clearly something about the Tatooine setting that is important to Disney in terms of this property, and so it's being uh, prominently featured here. Yeah, I so that's, that's, I think it's it, that was sort of my take from it. I'm quite frankly looking forward a little more to the Ahsoka story now, because yeah. I think that's, Ahsoka looked a little more interesting in this one than she was in her original portrayal in The Mandalorian. I haven't seen anything on that, although I did see a couple of uh, sort of digital posters for the Obi-Wan series, which yep. I guess we're going to have it in May. Well, and that occurred when they did some of the stuff for the Disney Plus Day, I guess, and they did yeah. that, you know, the, the one-year anniversary of it. They definitely did something for Interesting to see Obi-Wan. when that is set. Uh, yeah. I'm going to guess that um, also Tatooine. It's going to be set on Tatooine. I think we're going to see it as it's going to be the... I mean, what I think we're in some sense going to see is Luke growing up, but I think it's going to be Luke is... He's not going to be a major character. It's going to be something occurring in the background. I suspect what they're going to do is... Because one of the questions we always ask is, how is it that the guy named Luke Skywalker... Famously named after the most famous guy ever has somehow gone undetected on Tatooine. We have we've speculated this because one, Tatooine is that remote, and right. that all the the crime there makes it easy to disappear there. Uh, I wonder if the Obi Wan story will be largely about him keeping that secret. Yes, I think that's what we're going to see. Is Obi Wan essentially continue? It's him very aggressively hiding Luke. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if we may get some hints because of just timing wise 
of where the Mandalorian is going to be going with the crime families that are all set up in Book of Boba Fett. Yep. Again, the Mandalorian time period. Every time I do this, by the way, I keep doing like circles with my yeah. hands of the, the Mandalorian time period. You guys can't see Kirk's <laughs> gestures, but you can probably hear them. Yeah. So that's the thing that I think we've got with that. Quite frankly, that would be an interesting story. Um, yeah. It could be a very interesting story. We've obviously introduced much more about assassins, bounty hunters. Yeah, there's a lot of, of background here to build off. We of. can definitely have Anakin hunting his son. I mean, that's something that that's not a you know a weird idea as Darth Vader. That him knowing that he has children in him. Well, didn't, didn't they announce that Hayden Christensen's been recast to reprise his role yes. uh, as Anakin? I think in the Vader suit. In, so. in, yeah, in the Vader suit. So uh, maybe that's going to play into the Obi Wan series. Maybe that's what it is. A part of it is Vader being th- thinking Tatooine's important, being drawn there for some reason, and yeah. um, having to be continually pushed off. So also, quite frankly, one thing that I keep wondering about, and I have to wonder about this: people who may know the Star Wars, tr- the it sort of expanded universe much better than me. Is there something about Tatooine in the far past or in the far future they outside allude to of this? this? Remember, they mentioned Tatooine used to be covered in oceans, and now it's a desert planet. So, was it a geological thing? Is this I have an alternative idea. What's that? Is it Camino? Oh. Well, how, how could it be, though? Because, like, Camino Is way out in the Outer Rim. But Camino is covered in oceans, like, at the time of the Bad Batch, which is shortly after Episode 3. How does Tatooine turn into deserts in, like, less than a generation? The Empire can do destructive things. I suppose. Um, yeah, but we do have... The thing about it is we do have Tatooine actually being, you know, earlier in it. I, it it's a great theory, but technically yeah, Tatooine appears in the yeah. prequels, so the, it can't the time, be. Yeah, the timing, but, I guess, doesn't yeah, work. But. <laughs> but I wonder it is, too. Are they, are they setting something up? The idea that Tatooine is a vastly more important planet in the the scale of the Star Wars expanded universe that's yeah. ever been. And again, I don't know, you know, if we go to the, you know, the First Republic and we go to, you know, the, these these series that are set a thousand years in front of Star Wars or, you know, they haven't really done any that are that late after. But, you know, th- I know there's Star Wars series that are set thousands of years in front of the yeah. movies. Is tattooing something important there, you know, as to what it is? Th- those are the kind of plays I've had, I've wondered about, you know, yeah. is it's, is there something in that expanded universe they want to get to? Or if it's not in the expanded universe yet, that they're actually they're looking build it, yeah. to go to. Yeah. The idea that Tatooine is a more important player. And it's just because I think there is that idea, and, and I've seen a lot of science fiction, as you know, know I play you know, Warhammer 40K. If you guys are into the, the lore of Warhammer 40K, Armageddon has always been a huge planet in the, the story of Warhammer 40K. And then they introduce the fact that Armageddon used to be known by another name mm-hmm. in the Beast Arises series of books, you know, which was one of the major sort of plot advancing things from 10,000 years earlier. And the idea that Armageddon is the same world, and so suddenly that's the reason why everybody is fighting over it, is because this world has vastly more importance than anybody understands. And now you have the question of, is that going to play into the future as we're advancing the timeline? This world has vastly more importance than people understand. Are we doing that with Tatooine? Time will tell. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so uh, we're going to wrap it up, uh, partially because uh, we have another meeting starting uh, in about 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, our next episode, uh, we're still going to do a, a revisit of our culture and IP topic. Um, dealing with some of these these new laws that are coming out to address some of the things that we mentioned in the episode, the Rewind episode we just played. Uh, but first, we got uh, somebody reached out to us on Facebook and asked if we could talk about uh, IP issues surrounding things like Twitch, live streaming video games. Uh, we haven't really talked about that, and yep. we would like to, so we are going to. Yeah, I think it's a, Twitch in particular has become so much more prominent now. I mean, it, it's interesting because Twitch has not entered, I don't think, mainstream culture, but... 
it, as a name, but everybody knows what it is. Yeah, everybody knows what it is. You know, and I think it's kind of an intriguing sort of thing. <laughs> yep. So anyway, uh, that'll be up coming up next. Uh, we don't know exactly when on timing, but we're trying to get you know one episode of, of us together out each month. Uh, we've already gotten it in for February, so that's uh, you know, yay, go us. Uh, but uh, you know, we kind of record these as as time uh, and resources uh, allow. So that one will be hopefully out within the next four weeks, maybe sooner, maybe later. Just depends on how things go. Anyway, that's all for this time. We'll see you next time. Or play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 